Praise the Lord, everybody. It's wonderful to be in the house of the Lord again this morning. Amen. So appreciate the wonderful presence of the Lord that we feel. Amen. Amen. I tell you what, we were in the presence of God Friday night, Saturday morning. Amen. And he is here again today. Amen. You know, I, I guess sometimes when you preach and when you're done, amen, your burden's lifted and it's over with, but amen, I have still been dwelling a lot in my own personal, my mind from Thursday night. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of elders I know have been preaching this gospel many, many years, done many wonderful works for the kingdom of God. It seems of late, there's so many of them are talking about how they are searching their hearts. That they realize the longer they live for God, the further they are from where they want to be. And it really shook me when I thought about it. I'm young, I've done nothing, and these men have done so much. And if they're in a place where they feel like they are still so far from what God really wants them, where does that leave me? Amen. It's my desire to live for him. It's my desire to be what he wants me to be. No matter what he has to do to me, amen, I want to be his child. You know, sometimes I have to discipline my kids and I hate doing it. I do. I don't like it. But I know I have to because I want them to be good people. And I don't like it sometimes when God beats me up. You say, well, God doesn't do that. Yeah, he, he, he does sometimes. Amen. I got pummeled pretty good about a year ago. A good friend of mine told me he didn't know why it had to happen. But he said, for some reason, God felt like you needed to get beat up. He goes, there is a purpose in it. And you know, sometimes we have to go through that because God's trying to make us something. Well, praise God. I don't want to kill the spirit today. Amen. But I, I just want to be found like Brother Riggin was saying, a vessel unto honor. Amen. I've got my favorite coffee cups. I had to go buy a new one because I don't know where mine are. But I miss my old cup. It's nothing special. But I like it. It's what I use every day. But I don't serve that one to the company. It's my cup. I don't wash my coffee cup very much because coffee's purifying. <laughs> Amen. But I ain't serving that to nobody. We got nicer ones. Amen. We used to have fine china, but we evangelized in a rear kitchen trailer and that all busted. Amen. Finally, we had a few pieces left and they went on eBay before they broke too. Amen. But we've got nice stuff. We've got usable stuff. I want to be that something found in the honor. An instrument of purpose in the hand of God. Amen. If you'd turn with me today to Mark chapter 8. Amen. Very simple message this morning, but it's what I feel in my heart. I know we're all family here today. Amen. But that's all right, because God knew who would be here before he put this on my heart. Amen. Oftentimes we, we hear preaching with a man, if so-and-so could have been here, if this person could have been here. Well, you know what? God knew who was going to be here. 
Amen. And I just want it to be, if nobody else is, affect my life. Amen. Mark chapter 8 and verse 22. And he cometh to Bethsaida, and they bring a blind man unto him, and besought him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand, and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes, and put his hands upon him, he asked him if he saw aught. And he looked up and said, I see men as trees walking. After that, he put his hands again upon his eyes, and made him look up. And he was restored, and saw every man clearly. He sent him away to his house, saying, Neither go into the town nor tell it to any in the town. Amen. I want to preach for a little bit today on the master's touch. The master's touch. Praise God. Can you lift your hands? Ask God to have his way in this place. Lord, we love you. God, we thank you for your presence. Lord, we thank you for your touch, God, that we can feel in this house. And Lord, we're just asking, God, that your perfect will would be done, Lord, in the remainder of this service. Lord, we need your touch today, God. We need your help. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. God, I need you today, Jesus. I need you today, Jesus. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. God, you're wonderful, Jesus. You're wonderful, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God, praise God. Amen. And you may be seated. Praise God. In life, there are, there are men and women who are master craftsmen. And then there are those who think they are master craftsmen. And then there are those that don't care and they just slap it together. Praise God. And you can always tell the difference. Amen. One of the things that has always, it's just something I enjoy and something that I endeavor to do in life is to build furniture. And I, I go online sometimes and I look at these guys that just, they amaze me in their talent and ability to put, they take this old rough hewn stick of wood and they, and they build something out of it that's just breathtaking. And they're, they're masters at what they do. And, and if I do it, you're, you're going to see flaws because I don't have that kind of ability and, and I can do the best that I can, but it's not going to be perfect. I don't have the years. I don't have the experience. I don't have maybe the talent that they have. They are master craftsmen. Amen. There are some men that are incredible at different things like, say, fishing. I'll enjoy fishing, but I promise you, I never catch anything. I go take my bait for a swim. That's about all I ever do. Amen. And it's just whatever. I go sit there, throw the line in the water, and enjoy being out in nature. Amen. And hopefully it's in a boat and I can just sit back and rock in the waves and fall asleep because that's what I normally do on a boat. Praise God. But I was up when, several years ago, I was up in the, in the Yukon and fishing out of sight of Whitehorse. And, uh, and we went ice fishing in, in the spring. It was about three feet of ice on the lake. And we drove out on the lake. Very interesting experience for me. Amen. The guy, he, he's, he's kind of He's an interesting fellow anyways, but we're in his pickup, and he was, we were up in the parking lot, and there was the boat launch out on the lake. We hit the boat launch at about 50 miles an hour, never slowed down, right out on the lake. Hallelujah. The lakes don't freeze over like that where I come from. 
And we, we drove around and we found this spot and we, we parked the truck on the ice. They went up there. We weren't too far from the shore. They went up there and built a fire. It was a nice day, 45, 50 degrees. And, and uh, we were wearing snow boots and hoodie sweatshirts out there. And we, he had this boarding deal. We bored all these holes in the ice and get this little fishing pole about yay long. You drop your, your lure down in there and you jig. And I was on this hole and I was jigging. And they was catching. I was jigging. I'd pull it up, make sure my lure was still there, and I'd drop her down and jig some more. Hey, man, he'd come over, and he said, man, you catching anything? I said, I ain't catching nothing. He goes, well, what are you doing? And I showed him. He's like, no, you go like this. And he grabs my pole, and he's like, hmm. He goes, there you go. <laughs> Got me a fish. I mean, it was literally, he was had it for like 15 seconds. He kind of swirls it around, gives her a yank fish on. And I'm like, I've been standing here for 30 minutes jigging. Amen. I'm sick of jigging. I won't catch something. Amen. But it, it just blew my mind. And it, see, he did that to me a couple times that day. I could go to the, he could catch three fish out of a hole and say, come over here. There's lots of fish here. I'd go over there and he'd go where I was and start catching them over there. Because he's done it for years. He's 70 years old. He used to be a fishing guide, hunting guide. He knows what he's doing. I obviously don't know what I'm doing. I'm not a jigger. Praise God. In more ways than one. <laughs> Amen. But he was a master at it. And, uh, and he's the same way in hunting. They go out, my mother-in-law and father-in-law go up hunting with him. And every time they go, they come back with an animal. He's guided my mother-in-law twice to killing nice big moose. And this year he took my father-in-law and shot a big caribou. He, just, he knows where they're at and he knows how to get them. He knows how to call them in. He, he teaches how to call moose. And usually they buy these moose calls, not him. He gets a little cone of bark and he makes the noise with his mouth and calls in moose. He's incredible. He's a master at it. He does very good. I can't even find them, much less call them in, praise God. But, but he's good at it. He is a master. There's a difference between someone that enjoys doing something and the master. There's a difference between I, I can build something, brother, and it'll be functional, but it's not going to be a beautiful piece of work like a master craftsman. We serve a God who is a master. We can go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1 when he moved on the face of the waters and separated the waters from the earth. And uh, that very first day he stood up there and he said, let there be light. And there was light. He called the light day and the darkness he called night. In day two, he created the heavens or the atmosphere, the sky, as we know it on day number two. Day number three, I got ahead of myself. He separated the water from the land. He called the dry land and he had the places of water with his spoken word now I can talk all I want to and say do this and it ain't going to do nothing but with his spoken word he said let the earth bring forth grass herb yielding seeds fruit yielding fruit after its own kind God formed the sun and the moon on day number four day one he creates light day four he decides to create a body to cause that light I love that part of the story. It just does something to me. God doesn't need a son uh, to bring light. Hallelujah. But he spoke it into existence on day number five. He created the fish and the fowl. Day number six uh, created the animals and man. But I'm telling you, when it got down to forming man, he did not speak and man showed up. 
But in Genesis 2 and 7, it says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. Man was different. When it came time to make man, if you would, God got down and got his hands dirty and formed man out of the dust of the earth. Hallelujah. He, he gave man everything that he would want. He put him in the garden of Eden, gave him everything that was present to the eye and good for food, except for one tree that he could not touch. But another thing that he gave man was a free will. That man can choose to do what man wants to do. That God is not going to force man into a certain way of life. We have a free will. And man used that free will and partook of the one tree that he was not supposed to. And by one man's sin entered into the world. And so death passed upon all men. For that all have sinned. Every one of us has sinned. Every one of us, if you would, has gotten dirty in this life. But I'm telling you, we serve a God who is still willing to get his hands dirty. He's still willing to reach down in that filth and muck and mire of sin and take a life that looks hopeless, take a life that looks worthless, and get his hands dirty and make something special out of what the world thinks is nothing. Hallelujah, it's not because man is so good. It's not because man is so great. But we come to him broken. We come battered. We come far, far from where he would have us to be. Loaded down with sin. We have proven over again that we are not capable of building our lives correctly when we're building them on our own will and our own desires. What we have proven is that we need a master to form us and to shape us and to make us what he wants us to be. We find ourselves in need of help, in need of repair. And we need a special touch that only the master can bring. We need a special touch that only the master can bring. You know, as, as human beings, we can only do so much to fix the predicaments we find ourselves in in life. I've known of folks who have just, by a strong will, quit smoking, quit drinking, tried to clean their lives up because they have a very strong will. Somehow they are able to do it. But there's only a limit to how far man can clean themselves up. We can get rid of and stop doing the things that we have done, but we can't erase the things that we have done. We can't go back and undo what we have done. The only thing that can cleanse that is the blood of Jesus, the touch of the master. 
Hallelujah. There's a very familiar story in John chapter 8. I've preached about it several times, but I feel to talk about it again today. To me, it's such a powerful, powerful story. Amen. John 8 and 1, Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Amen. She is, she's, in our term, she's dead to rights. She's, she's done. Caught in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? They, this they said, tempting him, they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it being convicted by their own conscience went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. A woman that according to the law was worthy of death. According to the law, it was a done deal. She was caught in the act. She was guilty. There was no saying she wasn't guilty. She was done. But they used her as an opportunity to tempt him. But all he did is reach down in the dust of the dirt and begin to write, draw, write. I don't know what he did. But they continued asking him, and finally he stood up and said, "Who? he who is without sin, let him first cast a stone at her. And began to write in the ground again. And I think that when he said that, it's interesting to me that they say from the eldest to the youngest, those ones that had lived the longest began thinking the things that they had done. And maybe they had some time in their life done something also that was worthy of death or worthy of some kind of judgment, began to realize that they were really, when it came down to it, no better than she was. And being convicted of their own conscience, they turned one by one and walked away. Until finally this woman, this guilty woman, this woman that was guilty as charged, was the only one left. Jesus said, where are your accusers? She said, they're, they're gone. He goes, neither do I. Accuse they go and sin no more. It's a powerful story to me. Because every one of us, there's a penalty for sin called death. It's the judgment that is written. It's the judgment that is deserved for sin. And every one of us has had that judgment written in our life. But then one day Jesus came by and got his hands dirty. Came by and got his hands dirty and had mercy 
on us. Well, hallelujah. It's quiet again this morning. Amen. But he had mercy. He was willing to reach down and touch again, again, and again, and again. Every time I believe that when we come to him in genuine repentance and have that, that godly sorrow that worketh repentance in us. And uh, I'm telling you, when we repent, it's with an idea that we are never going back. It's not just saying I'm sorry, but it's saying I'm sorry with the intention of not going back, of taking the sin and laying it on the altar, getting up and walking away from it. We can't repent if we're planning to do the same thing tomorrow. That's not repentance. When we repent, when we leave it there on the altar, we walk away with that determination. I believe Jesus is saying to us, go and sin no more. I've took care of this one. It's covered in the blood. You, you've come, it's covered. It's covered, covered, covered by the blood. But go and sin no more. Don't go back and do it again. Let the blood cleanse you. Amen. Search your heart that you don't come back. Hallelujah. I tell you what, there's sometimes we, we struggle, we fight the same thing over and over again. There's got to come a day when we bring it to an altar and lay it down and leave it. Let the blood cleanse us. Let the blood wash it away. Let the master come down and touch us again. I don't know why I'm going down this road again today. So many times we mess up our own lives, trying to be in control, living according to our flesh instead of according to the spirit. I want to walk in the spirit. I don't want to walk after the lust of my flesh. I don't, I don't want to go. I don't want to go that direction. I want, I want to walk in the spirit. I want to walk in the spirit. I want to be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. I preached in a place for quite a while. Or every time, boy, they'd get up, whoo, walk out and not do anything. They were hearers, but not doers. Oh, hallelujah. You see, when all we're doing is here, but we're not doing, it's because we're living according to our own desires. We've wandered from where we need to be in God, listening to the wrong voices. But I'm telling you, we find ourselves in need of mercy. And I believe this morning that Jesus is still willing to reach down and get his hands dirty. Willing to get down and pull us out of that muck and mire of sin. If you've ever watched a potter work, his hands do not stay clean. I've watched them work a few times and their hands get quite dirty. Yeah, they rinse them off quite a bit, dip their hands in water, 
but that clay gets their hands dirty. And I'm telling you, Jesus is willing to get his hands dirty if we're willing to allow ourselves onto the potter's wheel. He's willing to get his hands dirty to make us the vessel he wants us to be. There's a couple of stories I want to talk about today. They're stories of healing. But I believe there are some truths in them that would apply today. In Mark chapter 7, verse 32, it says, They bring unto him one that was deaf, had an impediment in his speech. They beseech him to put his hand upon him. He took him aside from the multitude and put his fingers into his ears, and he spit and touched his tongue. Looking up to heaven, he sighed and said unto him, Ephatha, I think, that is, be opened. Straightway his ears were opened, and the string of his tongue was loosed, and he spake plain. He charged them that they should tell no man, but the more he charged them, so much the more a great deal they published it, and were beyond measure astonished, saying, He hath done all things well. He hath done all things well. If you go back to Genesis chapter 1, when he said it, he said, and he saw that it was good. When Jesus does it, it he does it well. He maketh both the deaf to hear and the dumb to speak. This man was in a condition where he needed a touch from the master. And they brought him, and, and Jesus touched him in a very peculiar way to me. And in studying this, there is no explanation for why he did it. But he walks up to him and stuck his fingers in his ears. And then he spit and touched his tongue. We don't have any explanation for that. The only explanation that I could even find for what they suppose maybe he was doing was to show that it was because he touched him. And he was showing the healing touch. In our text today, we read another story of healing. A man came unto him that was blind in just the next chapter in Mark chapter 8. And he besought him to touch him. And he took this man by the hand and led him out of the town. Again, I don't know why. And when he had spit on his eyes, hello. I'm just telling you, you can't see what's going on. I'm telling you what, I don't care if you can see or not, that's an unmistakable noise. And then to feel it spat. I don't know about you, but I, I've had someone spit in my face before. I had the privilege a few years of being a youth leader. <laughs> and I was getting on to a girl one day, she was about 15 years old, and she walked right up to me and spit right in my face. I had a lot worse temper then than I do now. But the Lord helped me to keep my hands in my pockets because I wanted to use one of them real bad. She walked right up here. Basically enough, she's not living for God today. Most disrespectful thing I've ever experienced in my life. Made me so mad. I can't handle that kind of stuff. It's just, it, I have a weak stomach anyways and it grosses me out. I'll never forget that splat. But this Jesus spit in his eyes. He put his hands upon him. He asked him if he saw aught. 
And he said, I see men as trees walking. God touched him. He could see. He couldn't see clearly, but he could see. It was better than not being able to see. He said, I see men as trees walking. And then he put his hands again upon his eyes and made him look up. And he was restored and saw every man clearly. Now, I read these stories today because sometimes we can come and the very first time we come, God reaches down and touches us and everything's good. Everything's right. We go home rejoicing. Everything is good. But sometimes we come and he touches us. But not everything is perfect yet. We're thankful that he touched us. We're thankful that we felt his touch. We're thankful for what he has done. But it's not completed yet. What would have happened if that man said, yeah, I can see? Can't see perfect, but I can see. And if he said, yeah, I can see. And, uh, and he just walked in. He would have always seen men as trees walking. But because he said, yeah, I see men but, you know, as trees walking. Uh, but he stayed there for another touch. Hallelujah. I tell you what, there are times in life when we have situations arise and needs arise and we come, we get in the presence of God and we feel his touch and we go home excited. We go home blessed, but not everything's done yet. I'm telling you what we've got to do. We got to get up and go back for another touch. We got to dig down deeper and get a little closer, work a little harder to Get the brother touch. I believe the reason sometimes that we don't see the miracle that we really want is because we're content to see men as trees walking. Well, he touched me. It wasn't everything I needed, but he touched me. I just go like this for a while. I can see. It's not exactly what I needed, but I can see. I'm telling you what, you got to dig down and say, Lord, I thank you for your touch. But God, I need some more. I've got more than I need. I've got another touch that I need. And whatever I've got to do, no matter how hard i got to dig down, I need your touch. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hmm. I've seen folks come in off the street, if you would, know nothing about God, have never felt him before, and they feel some goosebumps, a little shiver run down their spine, and they're content with that. They go home saying, I felt God. I felt him. Yeah, but there's a whole lot more there. But you got to go back for another touch. I was thinking today about the story of Naaman. 
wonderful story, true story, great miracle that God performed for him as a leper. Part of the story that intrigued me this morning was the part where when he found out he had that leprosy, where that captive maid that he had that was from Israel said, would to God that you were in Israel with the man of God there. Because if you were there, I know God could heal you. Folks, we know the answer to folks' problem is found right here. When folks, we see the trials and tribulations in life, their answer is in the house of God. They don't need to just go to a church. They need to go to the church. I've known some folks that they'll witness to folks and they start going to a church that doesn't preach truth and they're all excited about it. It's like, well, that's good that they're trying to make an effort, but they ain't going to find their answer there. They're not going to find what they need there because when truth isn't there, they're not going to find their need. They're not going to have it met. Oh, God can begin to do a work. I understand that. Okay, I, I know God can begin a work. But if we really want to see the complete work done, they've got to be in the church of the living God. There were churches in Naaman's home country, but God wasn't there. Well, hallelujah. There were churches there, but he wasn't finding the answer he needed there. He had to go to Israel where the man of God was, where the prophet was. Folks, if you want to see people's life change, we, we've got to get them in the presence of God. We've got to get them in the presence of the master and let the master make the difference. I can't change anybody. I, I can't save them. I can't deliver them. But I can tell them where they need to go to get their answer. They're not going to find their answer at the Baptist church. They're not going to find it at the Assembly of God. They're not going to find it at the Catholic. The Methodists ain't going to have it. The Presbyterians don't have it. They don't have the truth. We've got to get them in the presence of God that the Master can touch them. When people in the Bible times had friends that were sick, you know what they did with them? When Jesus was walking on the earth, they led him and brought them to Jesus. We read it in our text. They brought him. They led him to Jesus. That other story we read about the deaf and the, the dumb, he couldn't speak or hear. He said, don't even tell nobody about it, but they couldn't contain it. 
begin to tell everybody. Well, hallelujah. Y'all don't like preaching this way, bring someone to church. Hallelujah. We've got to bring them where the master can touch them. We've got to bring them into the place where the master can reach down and touch them. Every time we hear about those troubles, and I'm telling you, you get close to somebody at work, they're going to tell you when they're having a bad day. And I'm telling you, the answer's still found in the house of God. Their answer is going to be found in the presence of God when the master reaches down and touches them. My father-in-law likes to tell a story. A time he used the same bank when he pastored in Nanaimo, British Columbia. He would go to the same bank same time every day and he'd have, he knew all the tellers and this one day he went up and he could tell she was having a bad day. He said, man, what's going on? I don't remember what the whole story was, but she was having a bad day. And he said, let's pray. He said, you mind if I pray for you right here? He said, she's, she goes, no. He said, I won't embarrass you. He goes, just keep doing what you're doing. And he began to pray right there. Man, that woman broke down. Why? Because the master stepped in. The master stepped in. You know what, folks? We don't have anything to be ashamed of. When folks are having rough times, pray. Pray. The answer's in prayer. Yeah, I believe it was in that same time period. They was going around and, and they were doing a different type of outreach. They were going to people's doors and knocking on their doors and asking them if they had prayer requests and they were, they were concerned about their community and wanted to know if they had anything they would like them to pray about. Well, they beat on this one door and this woman came out and, they, and she broke down on the altar. They prayed her through to the Holy Ghost on her front porch. Why? Because the master came down. Folks, I'm telling you, we, we got to understand that the master desires to touch. It's not his desire that people live in sin. It's not his desire that they go around beaten down by life. It is his desire to touch. If we walked in here today, the life has weighed us down. I'm telling you, he wants to touch you today. He wants to lift your burden, but you've got to bring it to him. If you want his touch, you've got to work your way into his presence. Just walking into the building's not enough, but we've got to reach out to him. And if we'll reach out, he'll reach down to us. Oh, but I don't want to bother him. I'm not worth anything. I'm nothing special. Twas battered and scarred, and the auctioneer thought it scarcely worth his while to waste much time on the old violin, but held it up with a smile. What am I bidding, good folks? He cried. Who will start the bidding for me? A dollar, a dollar, then two, only two. Two dollars, and who will make it three? Three dollars once, three dollars twice, going for three. But no, from the room far back, a gray-haired man came forward and picked up the bow. Then wiping the dust from the old violin and tightening the loose strings, 
He played a melody pure and sweet as caroling angels sings. The music ceased. The auctioneer with a voice that was quiet and low said, what am I bid for the old violin? And he held it up with the bow. A thousand dollars. And who will make it two? Two thousand and who will make it three? Three thousand once, three thousand twice. And going and gone, said he, the people cheered, but some of them cried. We do not quite understand what changed its worth. Swift came the reply, the touch of the master's hand. And many a man with life out of tune and battered and scarred with sin is auctioned cheap to the thoughtless crowd, much like the old violin. A mess of pottage, a glass of wine, a game, and he travels on. He is going once and going twice. He's going and almost on but the master comes and the foolish crowd never can quite understand the worth of a soul and the change that's wrought by the touch of the master's hand what we often think of as worthless is just in need of a touch from the master We see folks, they're rough, beaten, battered. Life has tore them up. And they say, man, those, they're, they're, they're too rough. No, they just need a tuning and the touch of the master's hand. I have in me a little bit of the pack rat. When I see an old piece of furniture that's battered, being tossed aside, there's something in me that wants to take it because I can see that with some sandpaper with some work can make it usable again what a lot of people think is trash I think could be gold they say man I, I, I've told you about the dress bedroom set that I bought it's busted up pretty good it's rough shape but I know that there's, there's, there's some beauty still in that if I can get to it the young man that went with me he's like why are you buying this garbage I said man I said I, I paid 40 bucks for it I said if I went to buy this brand new it'd be close to a thousand dollars I said a few hours worth of work and I can have it looking like that he said I don't see it I don't see it I said I promise you and to him it was garbage but I know that if I get that old scratched up varnish off and sand the deep scratches out, put a new finish on it, amen, that beauty will come back. And I'm telling you, we can get battered up with life and all of a sudden that varnish begins to peel and scratch. It doesn't look very appealing, but all that's needed is the touch of the master's hand. One of these young men that's coming to my father-in-law's church now, just received the Holy Ghost a couple weeks ago. He called my father-in-law the other day and he said, hey, pastor, would it be okay, he said, I, if I brought a homeless man to church? He said, I've been working with him. He said, Is, can, I, can I bring him to church? Father-in-law's like, you can absolutely bring him to church. He said, well, what does a homeless man have to offer? Well, 
I don't know. But God does. We look out here. But God looks down inside. God doesn't look at the outside of that beaten and battered vessel. But he knows what he can make out of it with just one touch of his hand. Maybe you're in a situation today that you've been living in for a while. If you'd stand with me this morning. Maybe you've come and maybe God has touched you before. God's began a work, but it's not completed yet. You wonder sometimes if you're ever going to see it come to completion. I'm telling you, when we get to a place when we're not content to see ministries walking, but we want the whole touch. When I'm not content to just come and pray till I speak in tongues for a couple of minutes and I feel okay, but when we're ready to come and pray until, (laughs) to push until we break through and find that answer. I believe that we had a breakthrough on Friday night. I tell you what, the power of God came in in such a special way. Amen. I believe that we've received some answers Friday night. But if you weren't here or you didn't get your answer, I'm telling you, don't go home today without it. But press your way into the presence of the Master and let Him touch you again. I know this is simple today, but I'm telling you, I feel it. I feel it. We can't be content to just let things be as they've always been. But somewhere we've got to say, you know what? I'm tired of seeing men as trees walking. I want my sight. I want to be made whole. I'm tired of just a little blessing here and a little blessing there. But somewhere I want to break through to be what God really wants me to be. To get to that place where I get my whole answer. And it's going to happen when we push our way into his presence. When we can forget ourselves for long enough to press into his presence. Because I'm telling you, he's willing to reach down, put his hands back on the vessel, and begin to form and shape and make us if we're willing to press our way in and let him touch us again. This altar's open. If you'd like to come push your way in it,